This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Roar, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. All right, we are still in the desert. It is so nice here. Gorgeous day. Players kind of out here shooting hoops a few minutes ago. George Kirby was shooting today. I think Carson Patale, one of the uh, coaches, was out here today. You already went sunscreen, huh? Yeah, I, you know, I got to yeah, be careful. I don't need to be all burned <laughs> while I'm out here. That's not uh-huh. not something I'm uh, I'm looking forward to or my trip here. I want to enjoy it. I still got a little more golf to play before uh-huh. we get out of here. Uh, but thanks to Alaska Airlines, they uh, hook us up and they send us down here daily nonstops from Seattle to both Phoenix and to Tucson. And uh, it just... This this is the best. It's my favorite perk of this job. It's not even close. I love getting the opportunity to come down here every year and be a part of watching this sport and, and being here when they're at their most loose and yeah. most, you know, fun and talking to Julio today and getting that sense from him of where he's at in his career. There's just nothing like it. And Jerry DePoto is here as well. Good morning, Jerry. How are you? Good morning, guys. A beautiful sunny day. No oh, stocking gosh. cap this year. Remember last year you had the cold stocking yeah. cap. I mean, last year we were stocking cap close to opening day. So, you know, this has been gorgeous since the day we got here. Yeah. Golly. How's camp going? Uh, really, I mean, for me personally, it's been, I'm a bit banged up, but otherwise the, yeah, the group okay? at large. Sick. Yeah. I have, now I had flu. Now I've got back issues. That's oh, you too? If, as long as they stay healthy, I, it's all wonderful to me. <laughs> you'll, yeah. you'll trade it a ligament or two to make was sure. Was it the power better. clean, the heavy squat? What did we do? I, I don't know. I think it was just sleeping. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's not a good sign. What are you most excited about as you as you tour around and watch these guys? I, I think the depth that we've been able to create you know, going into this spring stands out the most. It's such a fun group. A lot of those guys in the bullpen that, that are competing for spots, guys like Jackson Coar, Colin Snyder, Carlos Vargas, Joey Kreibel, Ty Butchery, they, they've been excellent. Mm. And, you know, that's been a positive. I think every day our pitching runs out there, I think this should work. And and I love the depth of the, the lineup and, and the way we see those guys start to assimilate. You know, the Jorge Polancos, the Luke Rayleys, the, the Uriases, the guys who've come in and joined the, the group seem to have done so pretty seamlessly. How much tape do you and Justin, and, and I know the guys that are filming it, how much tape do you go and watch over the course of a day this time of year? Uh, you know, we don't really watch what they're filming. We're watching past. So, you know, we'll go into our database, and a lot of times when we are seeing guys, um, you know, or considering acquiring a player, we'll dig into our, our video database and, mm-hmm. and look that way. You know, that what they're doing now, especially the Edgertronic video, is really valuable cool. to our pitching coaches. Okay. I watch the Edgertronic video, and I think, that's cool. You know, I, <laughs> but the, I, I let the experts tell me, yeah. you know, why it's so cool. Yeah. When you, you mentioned the pitching and seeing the starters run out there every day, and it's Luis, and then it was George, and then it was Logan, and today it's Bryce, how, how, how relieved? I'm sure it was hard at times in the moment as people are calling for you and saying, hey, what if we gave you this for Bryce, or what about this for Brian, or what about this for Logan? And I'm sure there are some tempting moments. But as you sit here today and you roll those guys out one through five, 
how happy are you that you did what you did? Thrilled, you know, and I would add to that, you know, Emerson Hancock, who I'm certain that someone has said it to you guys so far, Mm -hmm. looks fabulous this spring and just a little different version of Emerson. But the pitching is what we've been about. You know, we said when when we spoke in January, we're going to lean into doing what we do. And and this is what we do. And, And I think it's our personality. It suits our ballpark. And, you know, I'm really glad that those guys are here. A lot of times when you go through those conversations, you know, something might pique your interest and then you think, but, you know, the void that it leaves and the thing that we know we do best is just too big to to embrace. Compare and contrast for me, if you wouldn't mind, Jerry, how different this spring training is than your spring trainings as a player in the 80s and 90s. In our spring trainings in the 80s and 90s, we will already have been in two hours of sweat <laughs> and uh you know we the workout started really early you spent a ton of time on the field on your feet huh. now the work is so much more uh defined everything is it's efficient it's well planned out it's on a clock and we're not trying to bring players back from an off season of slumber and work them into shape they come here and they're ready to go yeah. and, and that's the biggest difference this so you guys were out like running and calisthenics and stretching like everything on the field Oh, yeah. By 9, <laughs> 9.30. Easily. I mean, I, huh. I can remember with Cleveland in my early years with Cleveland, you know, we, as the pitching staff, we would start at 8 a.m. We would go on a three-mile run. And we had all these various courses and, you know, and there was somebody there with a stopwatch. And then when you got back from the run, you, you went in and put your uniform on and then you started the, the wow. baseball practice. Wow. And by contrast, I watched 20 people, literally 20 people, watch Bryce Miller throw a bullpen the other day. Which is a way better <laughs> outcome than, than running the seashell course at 8 a.m. in Winter Haven, Florida. Well, but it, it does sort of speak to one of the – it's interesting you bring it up, and it, it sort of speaks to why Scott has this basketball hoop up here, I would think, because if you don't have the bonding moment of going through hell and, and, and all these workouts and all that stuff together, you got to find a different way for the team to bond and to get to like each other. You know, I, I think one of the real cool things about our spring training, and this goes back eight years now, and and what Scott and the staff have done to create the a culture of togetherness in the clubhouse, it's the get-to-know-you factor with new guys that walk in, and it's the ability just to close the door and let your guard down. And you know, I, I think that familiarity or, you know, even the entertainment value, every morning you're going to hear the laughter in that room, and, mm-hmm. and it kind of really reverberates through the entire complex. You can hear it everywhere, upstairs, downstairs, and, and the like. And, and that's what it's about, is bringing a team together. And again, to compare and contrast, you guys in your Rocky sweatsuits and your gray suits, sweating and running. Could you ever imagine your managers back in the day coming to visit you? No. Flying to you? Coming to be transparent with you and where everything is going? I mean, once again, just a totally different era. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think... The idea of just establishing communication, being, you know, having intimate relationships with your players, developing that trust. And, you know, at the end of the day, you will not help anyone get better if they don't trust you. When do you think that turning point was? Like, you've been in baseball now for all of this, right? You've seen the whole spectrum of it, and you've been in the baseball offside now for so long and president. When do you think that turn started to happen? Like, I think of football. Pete Carroll was a catalyst at USC. Yeah. He He was a game changer. He played freshman. He connected with young people. He just, he, and then all, he played music at practice. And now you see 20 years later, all of these practices that he is was. There, is there gonna... one person who's most responsible for that shift? You know, if I had to point to a person who 
made it popular, I would say it was Joe Madden. You know, if I <laughs> if I look back in his early days with Tampa and, and and what they did in creating uniqueness in an environment before anybody else was really doing anything like that. If if I had to point to a fire starter, that might be it. Mm. And and so many of the managers today, uh, they're young. You know, they're young. They're closer to in in age to the player pool than managers have ever been before. And and I think that helps too. Is they communicated in a different way in their era than maybe you know, the guys that we played for back in the in the nineties were probably a little crustier. <laughs> you know, they they were a little, a little further <laughs> removed from their careers. And they were probably even less crusty than the guys they had played for. No doubt about right? that. I mean, I've heard yeah. some of those stories. Tito used to tell stories of the guys that he played for, and it just sounds like you know they were terrified every minute of the experience that something was going to happen. So yeah, it's it's a pretty amazing evolution to come back to this team, Jerry, and 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 your job as the architect along with Justin do you feel like you accomplished what you were hoping to this offseason you know I, I think we did and and I used the word yesterday it was kind of a meandering offseason it started out slow and and in many ways painful and we did what we needed to do for the first two months to be able to do what we were able to do for the last two months. And and I, I think the the fact that it worked in the order it did, we learned some lessons. You know, uh, we learned the value of being patient through the market in a way that we never really have before. We we usually are more aggressive on the front end. Mm-hmm. This year we were more aggressive on the back end. We knew where our holes were and what we wanted to, to fill them with. And, and in order to do that, we had to be patient enough to let the market develop. And, and that worked to our advantage. Uh, and then opportunities, really, the persistence in, in waiting out Minnesota on acquiring Polanco, you know, the ability to go out and get Gregory Santos there at the end, I think was a, a big add for us. Signing Mitch Garver on Christmas Eve, I think from Christmas Eve forward, the momentum we gained both in how you look at our roster and how our players viewed our roster and creating the vibe since we got here. You know, if we would have walked in to start spring training, you know, in mid-November, there might not have been as, as good a vibe here yeah. as, as we're feeling today. I heard this phrase the other day, and I thought it was a nice way of, of looking at your third base as a position of potential vulnerability. That's not bad. It's not to say that the guys who are there aren't major leaguers, and you certainly have a couple of players, maybe even three or four players who played in the majors at that spot. But comparatively, I'd like the phrase vulnerability is is that an accurate way of describing it or do you have thoughts on on kind of where you're at at third base yeah i like our situation at third base you know they're they're both guys who've been successful major league players if you combine each of their best seasons you got about a five and a half win player <laughs> which is that's no joke and you know it, they just do it in a slightly different way and and i think you look around some of you know in in the baseball world you're not going to have an all-star solution at every position on the field or in the roster and i think that is a when they're are no games being played and you think as a as a as a broader baseball community ah they can go get such and such yeah but then you're taking away from the advantage that it provides you in in versatility and flexibility and depth because you know if you have Rojas, you have Urias, you have Dylan Moore, you have guys like this on your team. You know, now you're protecting yourself if Jorge Polanco needs some time down. One can rotate over because they can all do that. If if somebody misses considerable time, you're not backfilling by going down to, to the minor league and getting someone who's largely unproven. You're bringing in players who have had success at the major league level. And, and that kind of depth 
built into a 26-man roster is really valuable over a 162-game season. We don't know exactly what that 26-man will be looking like with another month. I'm sorry, I just want to finish on okay. third base real quick, just because we saw Ty France over there the other day, and, and these things happen in spring training. I don't mean to read too much into it, but he's a lot slimmer. He looks a little bit more like a third baseman than he did at any other point during his time here. Is there any chance we could see Ty maybe move around the diamond a little bit? Yeah, I guess there's always a chance, and it's one thing that we've always done, and this developmentally from the minor leagues to the major leagues. We, all of our outfielders play all the positions. The infielders move around. You know, We try to give them the various exposures because you never know what's going to happen during the course of a season. And some of the, the, the things that have been impressive in this early going, one is the, the physical condition of Ty France. He's, he's, he looks incredibly athletic right now. And I'm, I mentioned it to him. It, the, he did the work this offseason. And, and Perry Hill's always believed in him as a third baseman. So giving him the opportunity to rotate over there it just like i talked about with the flexibility with guys like rojas urias Moore, etc you know if ty france fits into that bucket all the better for us polanco is also a guy who can go play third base he's got second he's played a little first having that type of versatility really provides depth before you even get to the next layer of, of player pretty awesome jerry depoto here with us julio last hour was just unbelievable not a I mean, shock oh my god oh. <laughs> it's just a terrific terrific guy on so many different levels can you acquire some more julios <laughs> we're trying is you there know. a Julio tree where you just go get more Julios and bring them in and allow them to play for you? I've heard they don't grow on them. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, it's a, he's a special guy. Oh gosh, he's Not amazing. just the talent, but the person. Oh, oh. Awesome. Uh, I think Salt was looking at the 26 man, and again, this could change in the next month. Who knows? You know, a lot of a lot of games between now and setting that roster. But there's a strong possibility that all 26 guys will have major league experience. Not one guy will have. Come zero. into it, just yeah. zero innings played in the major leagues. Was that intentional? You know, not intentional. Uh, I I do think that the the value of a roster that has some experience where you're not throwing anybody in the deep end of the pool, there is value there. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also, if I look back over the last three years when we've been generally pretty successful on the field, every year we've introduced new talent that's that's effectively impacted our season in, in positive ways. And, and, you know, this year I think there is a group uh, that is Cole Young, that is Tyler Lockley, or guys who haven't played in the big leagues yet who we think will have some impact and and they may get here as early as this season but i don't think that that we're currently planning on them being there on opening day yeah. uh, you know it's it's a good group and and we're very confident in the the depth and the quality of the roster now we just got to hope they stay healthy that opening day roster probably is going to have 12 to 14 players that were not on it last year now they, they may have come during the year whether it's bryce miller or brian Wu, those types of guys but weren't on the opening day roster last year that's 50 percent turnover roughly does it feel that way? I mean, it's funny when I when I, it doesn't feel like it's been all at once. They've been sort of gradual, but that's like a very different looking team than it was this time last year. Yeah, I guess that's true, and and some of it is just wanting to look at our offense in a little different way. You know, some of it was through necessity. We did have holes to fill because guys went away, and and some of it was the graduation of young players last year that really they stepped in and forced you to adjust the roster uh, to accommodate their presence. You know, guys like Bryce and Wu really stand out in that way. So. Uh, I'm I'm fired up about the way our roster looks right now. I think the team feels the same way, and you know we're we were I think we were good on paper when last season started. I like this team at least that much, if not, you know the depth makes me feel even a little more bullish on it. You uh, you reference the offensive philosophy. 
I remember walking into physics lab, summer school at UW, and I was like, I don't belong here. <laughs> I, I, just, I, I just don't, I'm not understanding any of this. Like, it is way over my head. I am curious if you, like, walk down the hallway at times or poke your head in and listen to Brent Brown talk with the analytics guys and the movement guys and some of that stuff that all of it goes into it. Do you find yourself like, all right, I'll just leave you guys to do that? <laughs> because this is, I mean, I, I the conversation with him yesterday. I was like, you can really think about all that? Like, you can really process all that information? I think offensively, that addition of Brant's going to be kind of unique, huh? Yeah, and we've had Brant before. Right. You know, so we, we knew what we were getting when when we sat down with him in Arizona, interviewed him to, to come back here. And he was, you know, he like a trade acquisition, he was a pursuit of ours where, you know, he already had a job as yeah. a major league getting coach. Yeah. And we, we targeted him as someone who we thought could really help. And Brownie's great skill is not just that he can think in that way, that he can process, you know, the the analysis. Uh, It's that he sees it and he's able to take that information, what he sees and the data that he knows and translate it for a player in a way that a player understands. And, And he's got a different message based on the ears that are hearing it. It's so he's not. It's it, nothing about what he's doing is just cookie cutter. There's it's it's defined for each player. And that it's is different. the comic relief. Yeah, right. he, told, he told us he was. He's the got comic a little relief. of that. Yes. Okay. He's got a little of that. We didn't see it necessarily in our few minutes with him, so I'm glad to hear it's there. <laughs> but we talk about the cyclical nature, whether it's managers and treatment, whether it's training, whether it's running in the '80s, the the sands and everything else. Because for a lot of years, Jerry, it's like, well, what's a hitting coach? It's, it's not a hitting coach. Oh, you can fire the hitting coach. It's all about the. I'm like, no, I would think that that's an important aspect of it, and especially one is maybe unique or attacks it in a way that is different than some of the others or some guys through the years were like, well, just hitting coach. What can he really do? How much can he really impact? Sure feels like this guy can make an impact. And his track record, if you pursued him, tells you he's made an impact. Oh, there's no doubt. And a lot of the programs we run today that we implemented starting back in 2016, Brownie was there at the ground level, yeah. you know, and he knows what it's about. And like we've done on the pitching end, you know, you want to create a mix. Jared DeHart is a wonderful hitting coach, you know, and he's excellent with swings, technical swings, working with hitters on positioning their hands, the way their body moves, etc. Mm-hmm. Brownie's got a little bit of that. He's also got a little bit of the the the, the ability to to bring a message to life for the players. And similarly on the pitching side, we've been able to do that with guys like Trent Blank and Pete Woodworth and, and you know, previously Max Wiener and now Matt Pierpont. Those, they're, all of those voices, they each have their niche. And, and at the end of the day, what you're trying to do is provide this suite of options that have the ability to help one of your 200 players. You know? and, and, and I feel like we do right now. Uh, having spent a little time in management and managing people, and thankfully I don't do it anymore because very, very difficult, uh, one of the things that I found hard was to listen to people, especially the people that you're managing. And we heard from some of the players on this team at the end of last year. And I think a lot of the, the focus at the time was on Cal saying, was on the personnel level of that. But in listening to Shannon, she was the one who got this most right then, and I credited her yesterday, and Cal agreed with us. He was also saying that there was some strategy that he felt like could be different. And it seems anyway as if there is a little different strategy. There is a little different um, thought towards not just looking for home runs, not that you're running away from analytics, but that you're embracing some 
I don't want to call it gut, but some, some something beyond just the analytical realm. How impactful was that, and, and how different do you think we'll find it this year? You know, I, I, I feel like we've always embraced both sides of, of that uh, spectrum, yeah. I guess. You know, and in the hitting space, and I, I think this is, you know, part and parcel why Brant Brown is, is part of the Mariners again, is that you, the information that we have, the ability to disseminate, the ability to teach in, in technical ways was always there. The ability to bring that to life, you know, as part of an in-game strategy was an area where we were a little bit short. And mm-hmm. we identified it, and we went and got Brownie. And, and I know talking to Cal in the offseason, I think he may have been the first of our players who encountered Brownie after we hired him. And, and uh, immediately we, we got very positive feedback from Cal. And, you know, I think this is going to really help. And, and I think that may have been what he was alluding to is, is, you know, I don't think any single person in our group has ever questioned our pitching programs. And, you know, that's because we had people who could communicate, people who could disseminate, people who could identify. And this, I think this adding Brant Brown really helps to, to solidify that hitting group in a similar way. Last year when we were talking and we could all see our breath and it was really chilly, uh, I went back and looked at my notes from last year and you had mentioned, because I asked you the question, hey, who are some guys we got to keep an eye on? Who are some of those that are not named Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez? And I guess Brian Wu was on that Wu list. Wu was on that list yeah. last year. If, uh, you know, if Mariners fans come here and flood the desert and get out of the rain for the next month and they want to see maybe a couple of these young guys that, hey, you know, you're going to want to keep an eye on him because behind the scenes are some of the numbers and some of the things that you're looking at. This guy is really starting to accelerate. Who are a couple of those younger pieces? You know, I think that in, in this camp and the, on the major league side, the two most notable I just mentioned were Tyler Locklear and Cole Young. Uh, I think people will be stunned when they see Tyler Locklear and his his all-around ability. It's not just thump. He can hit. He's got an approach. He plays good defense. He can throw. You know, he, he is physical and, and looks like a, a future middle-of-the-order bat for us. Cole Young is just as advertised. You know, it's, it's contact. It's baseball feel. He's got a lot of baseball IQ, and he's growing into his strength mm. in such a way that the contact skill is going to translate to some power. And if you're coming down from Seattle and you want to spend some time in the sun, uh, when, when coming out of the, the clubhouse, I would take a right turn and go to the backfields. <laughs> yeah. What we have happening right now at the low levels of our system is special. Uh, you know, two years ago, we, had, we, we were regarded as one of the, the top farm systems in the league, one or two, based on who was uh, doing the rankings. We have more talent in our system now than we did then. It, it, they're all at A-ball, and you know, I think as they start to matriculate through the system, we will rise in, in terms of that recognition, but there is so much young talent, especially some of the bats. So Everett this year, right? Is that where a lot of these guys... So who yeah, Modesto we, and Everett. So get your season gonna, tickets now. Well, you may want to, seriously, especially in Everett. It's a little harder to get to Modesto from Seattle, but we're going to see... Where where will Celestine be this year? There's All of these guys are likely between, between Modesto and, and Everett. Is Celestine in. It's it's Colt Emerson. It's Johnny Farmello. It's Ty Pete. It's Laz Montes. It's there. There is such a a group that that's coming through. We feel like it's maybe ten deep with position players wow. that have a chance to be impact major leaguers. We watched some of those guys taking uh, grounders off the wall here, and Phil uh, Neen's built different. He's built well, a little so different. is Emerson. I mean, they're just what is, physically. What, can you tell me just? A, I know last year he was just kind of showing up. Who is this kid, and, and why does he look like that? He looks unbelievable. I don't think he was here. Yes. I don't think he was here, right, with Visa? He wasn't here, right. Yeah. yeah, we didn't even get a chance to see him. He got here the last day. You know, I was right. actually 
getting in my car, driving back to Seattle uh, the day that he arrived. And uh, we had very high hopes for, for Felony when we signed him. He's, he, he hits every box. He can run. He can throw. He's a switch hitter. He has power. He looks like a guy, you know. And, and uh, he spent his offseason between HP camp and coming off of what were some just unfortunate fluky lower body injuries that held him off the field for a lot of last year when he did come back and play in a non-sanctioned league you know we call it the tricky league in the in the dominican he raked when he came here he raked right now he's raking and it's a there's a different sound off his bat there's when you watch him take infield you you feel like you're watching the way it should look and uh special talent and i, I feel the same way about colt colt does it in a more workmanlike way he's, ohio yeah, I, Colt got, is a dude. He, he got big. Yeah, he got bigger. He put on maybe twenty five pounds of muscle. It's uh, he's he's two fifteen. He looks fabulous. So yeah, same. Yeah. Put on put on twenty five pounds of muscle. <laughs> no big deal. Bulk yeah. mode. Yeah, just yeah. in bulk, bulk mode. mode. Well, Jerry, um, well, we was, could do that. Went too day. fast. That, <laughs> yes. was, that was very quick. Yeah. We sit here and talk about this group all day. We're having a lot of fun. Fun players. And we didn't yeah. even get a chance to talk about some of the new guys who've come in with Mitch and and Jorge a little bit and and. Having Hanniger back has been cool. His smile has been pretty infectious in there. I, I think, and I think I mentioned this to you when we last spoke. You even, did. even when calling Mitch after after the trade to bring him back, you could tell he was happy. And I, I don't think he ever really wanted to leave. The fact that he's able to come back and and uh, and play in a place where he feels comfortable, that it's home, and and uh, and there's such a respect for Mitch in our clubhouse mm-hmm. that the you know his kind of reentry was seamless. And yep. and right now he's playing exceptionally well, and I, I'm I'm thrilled with with the way it's turned out both from an emotional perspective and from physically what's happening on the field. Pretty darn cool. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate it. We'll let you get back to the Julio tree and uh, see if you can find a couple more Julios hanging out and bring them in here to help out. But what a, what a, what an interesting offseason it's been, and we're looking forward to seeing this product out on the field starting at the end of March. Thank you. You got it, guys. There we're nothing go. if not interesting. <laughs> There's Jerry DePoto. We'll be like right back. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. This this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, that was Jerry DePoto, uh, who sat down with us for a nice extended conversation after Julio joined us already today. No, there's no Julio tree, but it is interesting. You know, Jerry's view of this offseason is by necessity going to be a little different from what a lot of other people have said about it. But I, I like the way he termed it. They struggled early and then their momentum picked up late. And, you know, it's easy when you're frustrated by your team to only focus on the parts that are frustrating. Mm -hmm. And no one's saying that they're not there. It is frustrating that Eugenio Suarez isn't here. It is frustrating that they weren't able to do all the things that they wanted to with the budget that they had. But once that happened and they needed to take action, they did. Well, and you start to look at a roster, and from Jerry's perspective, he's in the business of writing the scripts of how it's successful. He's in the business of saying, hey, what if at third base? What if if you do get the last two seasons of, of Urias and, and Rojas and you put them together and you let them platoon, that maybe it can be something you can work with and not every position is going to be an all-star level perfect. It's frustrating still because you look at that spot and say, there are others who have it better, and Matt Chapman is out there, and he might be better. But at the same time, 
I, I understand where he's coming from and why he kind of looks at it that way. You either evolve and adapt or you die mm. in any business. And I, I'll tell you, I hadn't thought about it until he mentioned it. They were more patient this offseason than I can ever remember. Remember the year before and yeah. Colton Wong and Pollock and those guys are done early, right? Like they're done before Christmas. And especially Salt coming off of some of the PR challenges and the end of the year and everything else that has been well discussed. And I, I don't, A, don't feel any of that vibe here now at all. But B, uh, okay, so how are we going to respond? What, what are we going to do? We're going to just stay status quo? You know, are we going to make a move here before Christmas and maybe add one? And, or are we actually going to really learn? And if we have to make a turn, turn. Mm -hmm. And we got to learn that, hey, man, our pitching, how many times last year through some, at times, uncomfortable conversations with <laughs> Jerry, would he say, I don't know what more you want me to say as far as this hitting goes, because the pitching is awesome. Mm -hmm. The development of the pitching is amazing. Cal Raleigh said that to us yesterday. Hey, man, there's no question about our pitching. Our pitching is what we're known for. But why in the heck do we have to just be that? Well, why does it have, why, why does it have to be mutually exclusive that we are a pitch-only organization? Why can't we also be a hit organization? You know, take the, you know we play eighty games. Well, Cal, Cal said that yesterday. We have we had the sound That's of it. Uh, yeah. Let me play it for you. This was Cal yesterday talking through that exactly and the need for the bats to try to do their share. Sorry, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't prepare Brady for this. We're gonna give him a second. Jeez. Brady, you got that Cal cut for us of uh, of him saying what they did last year. All right, yeah, he's working. He's on working it. on it. You sorry. just cut me off once. No, I'm sorry. It's hard it's when be we're huge. in the desert. Uh, you know, even if it helps us win one more game, you see where that could have got us last year, right? I mean, I think it's going to be huge for us. And you know, personally, you know, guys are tired of hearing. You know, our pitching staff is so great; they're carrying us, and by all means, they are, and they are great, and they did carry us the past two, three years. But you know, we want to pull, start pulling our, you know, into the bargain. We want to start helping them out, you know, make some games easier for them, maybe take a few less innings off a guy that could maybe keep him a little more fresher, you know, later in the season, maybe not have that pressure, you know, come August or September of like, all right, every game is do or die. We need to win this game. And you know what, Salt, maybe some budget constraints, and we've talked about this too, and that adversity forced him to, to look at that a little deeper and how are we going to attack this maybe a little differently, not just throw money at it and because it couldn't just throw money at it. Maybe we go hire this Brant Brown guy. And oh, by the way, I had a few conversations around here, kind of like an offensive coordinator, and Brady Henderson's talked about this in the NFL. You can't just hire someone laterally. He's, he was an esteemed hitting coach. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? We're going to make him offense coordinator. We're going to make him even bench give him coach. A, yep, bench coach, going to add another title to it. So we can go target him. He's got to be our guy. Is that any money that anybody sees on a, on a payroll? Nope. No, it isn't. You, you don't see that. That's not a public payroll deal. All of these coaches that they reference, right, all of these people around here, do you see that on the payroll? No, you don't. You only see $140 million on the payroll, but you don't see all the other resources that they are investing in it and going and targeting. And, oh, by the way, Brant Brown has also got to leave. Where was he? Pretty good spot. Miami? He was in Miami. Pretty good spot in, in L.A. with the Dodgers. Right? Pretty pretty good, pretty good hitters. Pretty good talented people to be around. And he's got to want to come back here where he was 12 through 17 and go, yeah, Cal, sure. Julio, sure. Let me come in here and bring my own twist to this and let me innovate a little bit and let's get away from just swing for the fences and let's get away from these huge strikeout rates and huge whiff rates and huge yeah. lack of contact rates. And let's be... And let's go, let's pair this. You wanna you wanna pull two and two together? 
You want to you play a little, uh, you know, things four. that you heard? Four. Four? Two plus two is four. Yeah. All right. Let's put two and two together. All right. Ty France took some ground balls at third base. And do I think he's going to play there? Not right away. I don't know. But, oh, I know where you're going. But it stands out, yep. right? It stands out quite a bit. Ty played some third base here. I think it was there. these wide-spaced eyes, you noticed by the way. It. Nice that job. Was, that Thank was over you. there, yes. And I asked around yep. a little about it yesterday. Hey, anything to this? Mm-hmm. And a couple people were like, yeah, there's nothing to that. And you heard Perry Hill. Shannon had the report. Perry Hill was like, yeah, now we're just working on his mobility and this mm-hmm. and that. And I had one person say, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to seeing what that looks like. So we asked Jerry about it today. Yep. And Jerry, I thought, would kind of, you know, poo-poo it. Yep. He didn't poo-poo it at all. Mm-mm. He said, well, you know, he is in better shape, and that is a possibility. And, we, and he came up It does give him some flexibility. In mm-hmm. that. Okay. So now all of a sudden I want to hear that. And then when we've asked Jerry about the young players a few times, and he's not the only one I've heard this mm-hmm. name for a while, it's not just Cole Young. Right? Who's the other player who he met? Brock, when guys repeat themselves, what do you do? You Heather, pay some sharp attention. Heather's son. That's how I'm remembering from here remember, forward. Yeah, you kept calling him yes. Blackledge or something. Blackshear. Okay. Yes. Lockshear. Tyler Locklear. Locklear. Darn it. Locklear. <laughs> you got a rock I wrote it right here. Tyler Locklear. Heather so Locklear. that's a name I heard a lot last year. Yeah. As I uh, kind of did my due diligence and asking around during the season, mm-hmm. he was hurt, but everything I heard was professional approach, very advanced, going to be there sooner than you think. Yep. He's not the top name in our system, nope. but he might be the most MLB ready. Take Just just take note on Tyler Lockley. Well, he plays first base. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know where this goes. Again, this is spring training speculation. Yep. It's no different from what you do in a football season. Say, hey, what if this guy could play a little yep. Yep. X? Could you move him to Y if yep. he could play some DX? Can he rush the passer? Right. Yep. I mean, so, so this is the same type of thing. This is sure. just sort of the fun speculation. But if third base doesn't do what he and hopes it will do. You don't have money to throw at this That's market right. that still has got some people out there? If third base doesn't do what you want it to do? Find a way. Well, here are some options that you have. There's a reason Brian Anderson is in camp. Find There's a, way. a reason Cole Young is being fast-tracked. There's a reason Polanco can also play third base. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that Ty France has taken some ground balls over there, and I don't think it's a coincidence at all. We'll come right back. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710. This, this is Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Well, we were saying earlier, one of the fun surprises of being here is you never know who's going to walk by. Yeah. Right? It just, uh, yesterday, it was the commissioner who was here. And that ended up to a fun little conversation with Cal Raleigh. who told us, yeah, we told them about the uniforms. They're going to need to kind of fix those because they're a bit of a problem. They're uh, see-through. And that's yep. not going to work on the uh, pants for Major League Baseball uniforms today, uh, similar to the commissioner, but maybe loves baseball a little bit more. Rob Friedman from, ba- <laughs> from the Pitching Ninja. I'm sorry. Did I say that out loud? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. It's, uh, you know, dump that. Let's start all over again. <laughs> We're both Rob. Exactly right. Pitching Ninja himself, one of the great follows on X, uh, just a fantastic way to view what pitchers are doing. Thanks for being here. We appreciate it. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Tell us why you're here. Who, who are you here to, to hang out with? I'm here to see the best pitching staff in baseball, right? I mean, why mm. not? Like, I'm trying to grab Look George Kirby. Yeah. 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 <laughs> We're going back the air. You know what you're doing? Yeah. I mean, I want, I want George Kirby's knuckleball grip, and I'll drive anywhere to go do that. So, yeah, I drove all the way from it. No, I didn't drive from Atlanta. <laughs> I, I flew in from Atlanta. But, uh, yeah, I hope to grab a few of the guys and go over pitch grips and stuff like that. How did this start? 
dude. It, I, I, I like wake up some days and wonder. It was like I was, yeah, I was a, for, a lawyer, a software uh, exec, and then just started coaching and started asking a lot of questions because I think there's a little benefit to not having been a great baseball player. Okay. And the great benefit what was... What were you as a player? Were you a pitcher? Yeah, I was a pitcher, but yeah, like I, I was never very good. Um, but, I mean, how far did you go? High school? Yeah, college? Yeah, basically high school. High school. And my son, my, so long story short, I, became, I started coaching my son because mm-hmm. he really wanted to play baseball. And uh, he ended up pitching at Georgia Tech, which was, and he was very topped cool. out at 95 yeah. and was a good pitcher. So, uh, and Along the way, I learned basically everything. I, I was friends with, you know, the guy started driveline baseball, Kyle Bodie, Kyle, yeah. um, Law, Eric Cressy. All these guys, I would pick their brains, Alan Jager. Um, and I'd learn a lot along the way. And I was like, you know what? I have this great opportunity to ask people questions, and not everyone can. Mm-hmm. And I want baseball to not be just like a rich kid sport or, to, you know, you, ha- you got lucky and got great training or something. I said, why don't I share it with everybody? So I started putting it out there on social media, and it ended up like even MLB players were like, wait, this is kind of cool. And this is, and then I started doing highlights, where, and then everybody wanted to be on there, like, sure. you know, showing why tunneling works and stuff. And, and pitchers were like, Wait, this is like we never get highlighted. We only get highlighted when we give up bombs. Mm. Now, highlighted for making a guy fall down or something sure. like that. This is awesome. How right? did you build out that like technology to do what you're doing? You know, it's just a trial and error. I didn't okay. have I, I did a little stock photography on the side, so I had an eye for photography and a little bit, and then went into video. But it's all t- self-taught. Huh. Like I just wanted to explain the game. Why do you think this is the best pitching staff in baseball? Other than yeah. because you're on Seattle right well, exactly. <laughs> right here. Um, I think you, you just have basically a little bit of everything. Love watching Luis Castillo pitch, just pounds the ball. George Kirby, you know, man with amazing command and nasty stuff and threw the best knuckleball in the major leagues last year and his only knuckleball that he threw. Um, is that true? It yeah. is, absolutely. Well, wasn't it the only knuckleball thrown in the major leagues? No, uh, Matt Waldron throws one. So he actually, Matt Waldron is a legit knuckleball, oh, okay. and George just broke it out in honor of Tim Wakefield right. and threw yeah. absolutely a sick knuckleball. I think he'd like to throw more of those. He does. Yeah. And I want to talk to him about that because he should. He's he's an interesting character because it's, he's a command guy, and if you can't be a command guy and a knuckleball guy at the same time, or maybe you can. It would be awesome. Maybe throw you can be a ninja. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um, and, you know, you have Logan Gilbert, fantastic. Bryce Miller. Yeah. Woo. I mean, it gives me a chance to do my Ric Flair gifts and stuff. That's like, true. Yeah, so you have all that. And then a, a stud bullpen like it's just fantastic and i love their philosophy just pounding the zone so it's a great team to watch how do these guys hit do you as you put those overlays out there and as you said the ton lane and so cool to see that ball traveling this amount of feet at this speed and then it goes whoop or goes whoop or you know that's my chris berman i guess first nation uh how do, how do these guys hit so i've asked a lot of hitters that and and it is hard so the tunneling stuff absolutely is one of the keys to getting them out they're like you know i don't know what to do i was talking to brent rooker for a while about about it. what he'll do is try to pick up something unusual about a pitcher's release like maybe it's a little bit off or maybe he can see you can't really pick up spin so hitters right. it's it's I know people say, why didn't he pick up the curveball spin? Hitters don't do that. Um, Talk to Greg Maddox about it. He said hitters can't hit and pick up spin at the same time. If you're not hitting, you can see the spin. If you're Mm -hmm. trying to hit, by the time you process it, the ball's by you. Mm -hmm. So you can't really do that. They're just looking for little cues and maybe situational stuff. So you may see a pitcher more often throws a fastball on a 2-0 count, whatever it is. 
and you're just trying to make an educated guess on yeah. this stuff. It's really hard. It does seem, and I've heard some of these rumors that you know, not the not what the Astros are doing, and not the stealing signs or any of that, but that trying to determine tips on pitches has become the new thing in baseball amongst teams because you you almost have to given how good these pitchers are. Excellent point. And the other thing that he makes a lot of them. <laughs> I don't want to fill his head up. No, with that. Yeah, no but a, it, it, it is a really good point because like with Hawkeye and all the cameras you have now and with artificial intelligence yeah. stuff too, you can break down every single pitcher and say you know, this is exactly where they are on this pitch and exactly where they're on this and look for minute differences or maybe there's some kind of tell in how they hold their hand in the glove. Mm-hmm. Now we have so many different angles of it that you probably can pick it up and using AI, you can just match them. Like it's it's going to, you know, we say pitchers have a big advantage now because of the way they train and stuff, but it's going to come back towards hitters, unfortunately, so. because of a lot of that stuff. Yeah, I, and the game probably needs that. I, I, I know that you represent the pitcher. You're like the pitcher's union rep. Yeah, right. But, but but the game does need it, and we were talking yesterday with Mitch Garver. Whether it's lowering the mound an inch or moving it back six inches or a foot, at some point here, as the guys throw harder and harder, if everyone in the league's throwing 103, they're going to have to do something because you can't just allow that. Well, absolutely. So if you were creating a game, you know, say you're Abner Doubleday, whoever actually created <laughs> baseball back in the day, yeah, when you're throwing 75 miles an hour from 60 feet, sure, that makes sense. Nobody was throwing 103 from – they would be like, this this game's crazy. Why yeah. would you do that? You're hitting with a stick and the ball's coming. Like, I'm out. I'm not doing this. So, yeah, totally agree with, with that. It's it's just – that's one of the weird things about the game is I think the dimensions were made up when it was it's sure. just a different game. Yeah. If we're all here 10 years from now, same 75, sunny, gorgeous day, Hope Springs Eternal, 10 years from now, we're going to see 110 miles an hour? I think you might. I don't know. Like, we keep saying there's limits to how hard anybody can throw. There's limits. No one can run a four-minute mile. I think you can. Like, people are being, you know, just training. Um, there are different breakthroughs that you're going to see with helping UCL type stuff. And there's just going to be a lot of uh, a lot of things that, yes, I think you might be able to, you might see occasionally something. What do they say time. Walter Johnson threw? What was, the, what's the? It's all made up. Do you think that's, all made <laughs> up? that's all made you're up. You're not buying it. it. No. <laughs> like, Anybody that threw hard back then, like, oh, he throws 100. They don't know what 100 is. They did, no way did he throw 100. Pitching Ninja, they had a stopwatch. Yeah, right, exactly. What are you saw Nolan, about? It's like Nolan Ryan threw 107 or whatever. Yeah, he, You're not buying it. No, I think Nolan did throw. I mean, he probably topped. I, I watch a lot of his game. I interviewed Nolan yeah. Ryan, too. They didn't know. Right. Um, the, even the setup where they had, they said he allegedly threw 108, they didn't know where the laser was aimed. They said it was approximately here. It's not a scientific thing. And then it was a technology that was the first time being used, and they were getting readings at 88 miles an hour in the first inning on his fastball. As he topped out at 88 in the first yeah, inning. Yeah, I don't think so. And, yeah, and then yeah. in the ninth inning on, like, his last pitch, supposedly hit, it was like 100.3 that extrapolates because it was later it right. extrapolates to 108 um fun story. i don't yeah it's a fun story it's a but story. it's also a legend never let the facts get in the way right, right right people need to follow pitching ninja it <laughs> yep. is a really cool if you like baseball uh, curtis rogers i think was the one who really kind of tipped mm-hmm. all of us off to it in the building and it is a must follow for just seeing the filth that is out there across baseball and the mariners have about as many of those guys as anyone it's cool to see you. Thanks for coming by, and uh, have fun talking to all these guys out here. Hey, thanks for having me and on. And if we That's know great. George throws more knuckles, we know I where know. it came from. Yeah, you no. like that. Absolutely. <laughs> it's my favorite. I love knuckleballs. <laughs> I remember interviewing Charlie Zink back in the day who came up as a little knuckleballer. That was way back. Nice guy. 
Didn't make it, unfortunately. Uh, We'll come right back. Uh, Oh, Brock, big news. In the 9 o'clock hour, Larry Salk is going to be here, my dad, to do some ranking at 945. And, oh, by the way, we talked to Julio this morning. We'll play some of the best of that coming up next on Brock and Salk.